0: You are now listening to the Retro Spectacle Podcast, episode 11, America's National Parks. We are on the Drink 5 Network.
1: respectable Podcast on the Drink Five Network. I am Jason, joined as always by my buddy Dave.
0: Happy Tuesday.
1: Alright, it is Tuesday for sure. So, uh, it's Tuesday night. Naturally, we're going to be found drinking beers here in the studio. Uh, what are we
0: drinking tonight here, Dave? As it came upon me to buy beers this evening, I selected an Imperial India Pale Ale called Hapsurd. And I don't know exactly how to pronounce this brewery. I've had a couple of their beers before, but... Generally, you know, they're kind of more expensive ones, so I, I don't usually pull them off the shelf. They're like 12 or 13 bucks for bombers. Um, this one is a West Coast-style double IPA made with a large wheat component and no caramel mar- malts. And, yes, I'm just reading it off the back of the beer bottle. So <laughs> it says it's a Hophead's dream come true. I do like it a lot. I want to give it a couple minutes to see uh, exactly what I think. Uh, and the name is... Um, unani maybe but it's u-n-e-a-n-n-e-e
1: yeah a lot of these in there
0: yeah and we have some other ones that we'll bring it up when we open them but uh what's your opinion have you have you uh dove into that yet
1: yeah i enjoy it i am a big fan of course of the ipas especially when they're doubled up like that
0: uh so or dived is it dived is it dived i I don't know (laughs) it's one of those circumstances where the word that you say doesn't make a lot of sense the longer you think about having said it,
1: I see that happens with many words often. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, so we always have sort of a a topic in, in mind and go over it and, and have a discussion about it. So, what is this evening? Uh, what's in store for everybody? Uh,
1: well, tonight I was you know kind of inspired by the Ken Burns documentary about the National Parks. Um, I've what, always
0: what's it called? Is it National Parks?
1: Yes, it's called um, America's Greatest. Uh, treasure, I believe.
0: Okay. Uh, I always think Ken Burns like just gonna have uh, America's best
1: idea. That's a, what it is. A
0: documentary about like furniture, and it's just called like furniture.
1: The the greatest Amish furniture ever. Yeah. Like <laughs> he just likes to go into epic like slow, long looks into all these cool big topics. So
0: and look at a photograph and then zoom in slowly and pan to the right and slightly up.
1: Known as the Ken Burns effect.
0: It's, I use it all the time in video <laughs> editing.
1: It's very effective. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've always really enjoyed the ideas of national parks. Uh, so when I was a little kid, I grew up, you know, here around Chicago, and we didn't have anything like the pictures of national parks that I would see, stuff like the Grand Canyon and stuff like Yosemite and Yellowstone. I had no idea what that stuff was actually like. So yeah, we always... have
0: what forest preserves and yeah. things like that, but they're not as grandiose.
1: And Chicago has a good tradition of kind of uh, preserving natural spaces for people. Um, one of the provisions about building in Chicago is that you cannot develop immediately along the lakefront because most of that area is reserved for use by the public. So, and that stretches almost the entire length of the lakefront in the city of Chicago. Gotcha. So when I was a kid, I wanted to drive, you know, my goal was to be able to drive to every park uh, that I could go to visit as many national parks as I can. Um, and it'd be really cool to just do it all in one huge road trip that would probably span years well that when you think about it now
0: if, if you uh form a successful company and retire early, you know maybe you can think about doing that road trip but yeah, the
1: national park road tour
0: is that still a goal of yours you should uh you should pursue it.
1: I think I would absolutely like to do that and i 'm definitely going not you know, not the
0: giant road trip, but going to all of
1: right, them right make make my way to as many of them as I can at
0: least i don't want to uh discourage you from going on this giant road trip by the way, it sounds pretty exciting. <laughs>
1: Well, maybe someday, yes, I can take a five-year road trip and do that. Drive around the entire country.
0: Um, Wow. So I have managed to get to a
1: few of them. Uh, So I visited Grand Canyon National Park, uh, Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, which is just south of Yellowstone. We didn't get to go to Yellowstone, unfortunately. Um, I saw Mount Rainier in Washington, which is incredible. You can see the mountain all the way from the city of Seattle. Um, So, I don't know, one of the... uh, one of the subreddits I subscribe to, uh, several of them, are. is the uh, Safe for Work porn network that they put up on Reddit. And it's all, like, really cool pictures of cities and, like, uh, computers or uh, natural landscapes.
0: Yeah, food porn. Right, food
1: porn, stuff like that. Wood porn. So, Mount Rainier shows up in them all the time, in both the natural and the city ones, because it's just got such a great li- relief behind the city of uh, Seattle.
0: As featured in the in the TV series The 4400. And Fraser, and Fraser, we can't forget. <laughs> and things. any other
1: TV series that takes place in Seattle.
0: <laughs> Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Um, I've also
1: been to Yosemite, which is one of the most famous ones in California, east of San Francisco. I've also been down to the Everglades in Florida, which is uh, much different than the other ones, which are like out in the Mountain West. So, have you ever been to any national parks, Dave?
0: Yeah, you know, when we were talking about it earlier, I, I didn't think I had, but I've actually been to uh, the Grand Canyon and I've been to the Everglades in Florida. But uh, as far as the Grand Canyon, I didn't go to like the uh, United States government side. I went to the side that was owned by Native American Reservation.
1: Right, like the North Rim.
0: And uh, that side was really interesting because um, it didn't have rails. So there were parents that had like little kids just kind of like inching over the rail looking down Like I I would be worried about that child if I was them But there were a lot of people that were just right there and it's kind of cool to to not have any guardrails It was kind of interesting. Um, right, but I didn't go to the other side Um, so I don't know exactly what that's like and I do remember going to the everglades when I was in florida with my family, but that was quite a while ago. But I remember I saw alligators and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff out there.
1: Yeah. Lots of birds, lots of uh, wildlife in those parks. Well, not a whole lot in Grand Canyon that you see from where you go. Although maybe if you're on like the more, uh, you know, less crowded air side of the Grand Canyon, you could have seen a little bit
0: more. Yeah, And we are going to uh, Lake of the Ozarks state park in July. Cool. Cool. So that might be pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of state parks like throughout the whole country. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly if there's a technical definition for what separates it. You know, why is Lake of the Ozarks not a national park? And it
0: may have probably money to do with, from the government.
1: I mean, and it probably has something to do with the development on the land itself.
0: Well, here's the answer. Okay. A national park is owned by the federal government. Right. A state park is owned by the state. The rules in each kind of park are set by the government that owns it.
1: Okay. So I think a lot of state parks have more development. Some of them, I should say, have more development than the national parks. Oh, There's only 59 national parks total, so obviously they can't turn everything into a national park. Um, well, but,
0: they probably wouldn't want to too, because a lot of the the locally owned or state owned stuff probably is is doing really nicely.
1: Right, as long as people are keeping up with it, they usually uh, some of these places are just known for their exceptional, like crazy stuff, like Yellowstone or Yosemite. Um, but you know, maybe some of them are. Repeated throughout the country.
0: Hey, it turns out I've been to a lot of state parks.
1: Oh, cool. Like yeah. uh,
0: like around here in the Illinois, Wisconsin area? Yeah, there's one over by Michigan City, Indiana. And there's one up in Michigan that I've been to. Uh, I think it's Northwest Michigan um, over by the sand dunes. And Oh, cool. Um, and a couple others, I'm sure. You know, it's funny because when you go traveling and you're younger, a lot of times... You don't come out with all of those, all of those memories right away. You have to kind of search, search around. The right, You have to process
1: bit. later on and realize maybe just how epic the trip really was.
0: Well, yeah, like I was, I was hanging out with my dad the other day and, uh, he just recently turned 61. So, uh, you can tell how old I am. You know, I, we, I guess went on a bunch of family vacations that I don't really remember. Probably between the ages of when I was like 4 and 10, say. Okay. I don't really have specific recollections of those except for like Disney World because it's definitely ingrained in a young young person's head.
1: Disney World will definitely remain there. I think... um,
0: I have to ask him what I did when I was younger.
1: I think I was at least 13 (laughs) or so when we finally... I think the Grand Canyon was the first one I went to. And man, that just like lived up to all the hype. We did go to the National Park side of it, the South Rim. Uh, we didn't go down into the valley or anything because we had our whole family. Well, I did do kids. that. I yeah, took, that's
0: really cool. I took a helicopter ride down to the bottom and then we there's like a river down there. Yeah. And we uh, went in a boat down the river. So that was, I mean, it. Must when I think back on it, it must have been an expensive trip for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> but does sound like a really cool trip though. It was really cool. The only problem was we were in Vegas uh, right. for like a week for a family reunion kind of thing. And and so we took one day and went over and saw like the dam and um, uh, what's that dam that's down there? That's Hoover Dam. The Hoover Dam. Yeah. And uh, the Grand Canyon. And the the crazy thing was it was I think it was like the end of July because it was sort of around my birthday. And you know Vegas at the end of July, which unfortunately I have to experience again this year, <laughs> is super super hot. And I you, per- you just you have to. I think it was like a hundred and. Ten or one hundred and fifteen degrees, like just outside, but down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it's like ten degrees hotter than the top. So it was like one twenty 120 or one twenty-five, and they were just handing out water bottles. Like people were passing out. It oh, was, I bet that's what I remember. <laughs> but it, <laughs> it was, was it kind was, of an ordeal. It was. Um, it wasn't beautiful as much as it was uh, very like uh, like epic and impactful.
1: Right, it's like almost a humbling experience to just stand there. I I would love to go to the bottom of it because uh that's one of the things that they comment on in the documentary that, you know, you go to the, you're at the top and that's how you arrive there and you're looking out over the canyon and it's so vast and it's not at all what some people would have thought, especially if they had no pictures of it. Mm-hmm. Um but then when you get to the bottom of it, it's just a completely different experience.
0: Well, I agree. It was a really cool experience for me and uh, and the people that went with us. It was just a small family trip, Um, and I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I'll I'll learn a little bit more tonight because I don't know as much as you do about the subject, but that's okay. I'm assuming a lot of the people listening perhaps don't uh, as well. So, so I don't know. I mean, what what is your opinion on uh, on these national parks? Obviously. They're they're protecting a lot of stuff, and it's under federal government regulation.
1: Yes, yes. The National Park Service kind of administers uh, the parks themselves, and they're in charge of you know taking care of everything and what goes on in the parks in terms of like is, is there going to be hunting? What kind of wildlife management is there? Stuff like that. Um, but it started way back uh, when Lincoln granted the lands containing, like, the Yosemite Valley, and this was really just the valley floor almost, Uh, and a mariposa grove of big trees right near the valley uh, to the state of California all the way back in 1864. And that was the very first time that land had been set aside specifically for just public use, and it was given by the U.S. government to the state for them to manage it, and they they weren't allowed to develop on it. It was only going to be, you know, for the people. Um, So then they created... Yellowstone National Park in 1872. It was the very first national park in the world. Of all of, you know, the things that America has created, I think the national parks are pretty cool because it is unique to America in that uh, we started creating these parks for the people instead of, like, large, uh, you know, landowners or aristocrats in Europe owning the magnificent pieces of land there and keeping them private. Uh, So, you know the idea of democracy in America sort of bled over into the way that the park system was developed in that it was going to be something that was for the people. And later on, you know, there's a whole other revolution, uh, of that where, you know, they take the parks and then they introduce cars to them and flood it with people in order to sort of help save them.
0: Uh, so take your time, man. You're gushing over there. Like, uh, like Yellowstone's geysers. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um,
1: early on they didn't have a whole lot of rules regulating them. And one of the things that everyone would compare it to, and I don't know if you've been here, this is not a national park, but have you ever been to Niagara Falls?
0: I haven't. Okay. Where is, uh, it's it's on the border between two... Uh... Two states, or is it two countries? It's
1: yeah, it's between New York and Ontario, so the United States and Canada.
0: So I've been to New York and I've been to Ontario, but I haven't <laughs> been. I haven't been to those two parts of to the part where they meet. Yeah, that, that'd be a really neat trip too. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty cool area. Go down
0: in a barrel, you know, all that good. Stuff. I
1: suppose you could probably give that a try.
0: I I doubt it. They probably have <laughs> protection up uh, because there have been a lot of stories of that have having happened. And I know some of it was sort of like folklore, but mm-hmm. that's because it actually did happen, I think, right? Sure.
1: I mean, it's one of those things that they joke about where like if you're reading off something in an insurance plan, they have to put it in there even though how it's so crazy because it happened somewhere. Yeah,
0: someone's going to do it probably. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so Niagara Falls is an incredible natural feature, but it's surrounded by developments. It was at one point... Uh, in the 1800s, before it was really a touristy thing, and I was kind of surprised to learn this, it would be, they literally would line the tops of the falls, line the top of it with buildings, and the running water would operate machinery for the mills.
0: So, hydropower?
1: Right. They would just build the buildings directly on top of the falls, and there's this really interesting picture that I found, I'll post it in the article, where it's just a line of factories and there's just water spewing from the bottom of the factories over this cliff. And it, that's where America uh, American Falls are today. And it's a portion of the falls that's entirely inside of America, hence the name. Um, but, you know, today when you look at it, it's gushing with tons of water. But back then, because they were using so much of the water to uh, run the machinery, it was very tame and it was just like a, a big cliff. It's uh, kind of interesting how you know, when you don't protect something, you don't think about what uses it could possibly be put towards.
0: So I'm assuming that the national government, uh, and it may have been spurred by a movement or, or I I guess you had, you had said it was, it was all, you know, back from, uh, Lincoln's day. Um, isn't that what you said? I forget.
1: Well, yeah, that was the first time that the government had actually taken land that it owned and set it aside. Well,
0: so we want to, because you realize at some point, right, as a society, uh, from government's perspective, fr- from the people's perspective, that you're you're going to build on pretty much everything that you can possibly build on. So if you're not like holding aside these these beautiful parts of uh, of the landmass that you're living on as humans, then it's just going to be lost forever.
1: Right, and you can only lose it once. You can't restore these places. Once you've done all this crazy stuff to it,
0: yeah. I mean, we're we're basically just um, uh, the latest in in a line going back a long time of uh, of animals that have taken over the earth. Yeah, right. (laughs) Except except we actually build stuff and like tear trees down and do environmental damage. So it's uh, it's very important for I think all governments and all people to respect. you know, the stuff around them, and to hold places like this, even among all of our technology and uh, developments in residential areas. Um, so what what other reasons are there to, to protect it?
1: Uh, well, you know, one of the things that happened early on in the park days was that uh, in the Yosemite National Park area, there's a similar valley to the big famous Yosemite Valley called the Hetch Hetchy Valley. And the people of San Francisco wanted... Are you sure
0: it's not the Anne Heche Valley?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, a, and I'm not stuttering there either, but I did just a second ago. <laughs> Anyways, um, the people of San Francisco wanted... So it's not bu-
0: the Anne Heche Valley? No, okay. it's before her time. Just clarifying.
1: They wanted to build <laughs> a dam there, and it would. the dam would obviously provide some hydroelectric power, but it would mostly provide a huge reservoir of drinking water.
0: I think that's what Ellen called it, by the way.
1: She's a huge reservoir of drinking water.
0: No, the Anhesh Valley. Yeah.
1: <laughs> You're hammering this Anhesh pretty hard.
0: I, you know, I got something on mind. I couldn't give it up, but please continue. <laughs> um,
1: but anyways, what I was getting at is kind of that in the early days before the parks were properly protected by like the National Park Service, there was still this sort of development that completely changed the land. So uh, despite a long drawn out battle, they wound up building this huge dam in the valley and it provided yes provided drinking water for san francisco but it destroyed this huge natural valley forever you know now it's under 500 feet of water even if we were to dismantle the dam and drain the water it would take hundreds of years to restore it to once what it once was okay um so you know i really like the idea that uh, you know there's national forest which is generally used uh in a preservation method and a, met- and a sort of way to, uh, you know, responsibly use the land, to use the fruits of the land, you know, some mining, some uh, forestry, uh, what they can do with the national parks is say absolutely no development. And it's imperative that the American people sort of take those parks and use them as tourist destinations, which don't impact the land, which preserve it. And it still is a way to support the land.
0: Let's just meditate for a moment. Uh, on the on the whole no development thing, which is difficult for probably a lot of uh, people in this day and age to understand.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: All right. Meditation. That mm-hmm. means that means more beer, less talk. <laughs> mm. um, what is this?
1: So this is uh hop,
0: hop hopsurd? Hopsurd. Mm. It's, it's good, got right? a lot of sentiment in the bottom. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of uh, yeast that has traveled um, a long way to be here today. Let me see where it's from, actually. Uh, it looks like... Oh, yeah, uh, West Coast. But I don't know where... Like West
1: Coast Brewery?
0: Well, see, it actually comes from, from a Chicago brewery. That's the, the U-N-E-A-N-N-E-E brewery is from Chicago, but this is a West Coast style double IPA. So this is a local Chicago brewery, and I didn't I didn't catch that when I bought it actually. Yeah. Although the entire guess,
1: website is in black and white, as you would expect yeah. from the label.
0: It's like a, like some kind of weird French documentary. It is
1: very French and very serious. <laughs> I'm smoking a cigarette.
0: Uh so we we have this organization that was created to protect the parks and control them. Right.
1: And you know, things were happening in all these places that were uh destroying them, right? So Mesa Verde, have you heard of Mesa Verde? No. Okay. So it was uh Indian cliff dwelling from down in the desert southwest. Indian? Right, like Native American. Native
0: American cliff dwelling. All right.
1: Okay. And <laughs> People would go there and It was like an alert, like... Take stuff. (laughs) The politically incorrect button just went off.
0: It was like, well, if I think back to when I was in second grade, how exactly were we taught? I'm not sure. (laughs) Mm, I'm not sure about that.
1: So, yeah, people would just go in there. They would steal everything that they could find and sell it to museums and stuff like that. Uh, At Yellowstone, people would carve their name into the rock. Have you ever gone hiking somewhere and seen people carve their name... It it happens everywhere. It's kind of ridiculous.
0: Have you ever played Cowboys and Native Americans? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. It wasn't
1: called that back in my day.
0: Is it ridiculous for someone to carve their name in a rock? Of course. Why is Is that ridiculous?
1: I mean, at a place where people go to, you know, a place where people go to observe the natural beauty of the area.
0: Like Wrigley Field?
1: Um... (laughs) Is that why people go there? That's a man-made thing. I thought they go there to get drunk.
0: It's a man-made state park.
1: There are lots of man-made things now in the national park system.
0: Well, I, why do you intrinsically think that doing that is wrong? Just because it, it curbs the aesthetic value or because you're damaging the rock? Because the rock probably doesn't care.
1: Well, look, you know me. I hate it when people sign their name on the basket when they get a hole-in-one in disc
0: golf. Yeah, so uh, you I know, mean, I just, tagging tagging things is kind of the nature of humans to like say that you've been there and then leave a, like, a lasting it. mark. I get it, but but I don't think that someone should be like writing obscenities across like national park mountainsides.
1: Right, like you know, I grew up in the Boy Scouts, and they always said um,
0: you were like raised like, by Boy no, Scouts. No, not raised like by, by <laughs> Kevin Costner. Wild Boy Scouts in the forest dances with <laughs> Boy Scouts. By,
1: that's a completely different movie. Yes,
0: it is. And we may get into that in a future topic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Odd crossover movies, the next podcast. <laughs> um, so, where was I?
0: Well, we were talking about dancing with Boy one. Scouts and Kevin Costner. Oh, and...
1: the, the Boy Scouts thing. They, they always said, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. And Maybe just because I, that was what I was taught when I was young you know that's the way i want to look at these important you know these places that have been set aside
0: no i mean most boy scouts are like that it's like any other organization or or group of people uh, a lot of people follow the things that are are passed on and then there's like uh, 5% or 10% of that that, that doesn't and are unruly yeah. but but i think i was in the boy scouts too for quite a while and uh, i think that's well impressed upon you you know i i did a lot of camping went to Uh, Some of these big gatherings they called like Napawan. I think Napawan is just for like Midwest. Yeah, it's a big uh, camp up in Wisconsin. Boy Scout, yeah. But but you go and you appreciate things. Now, of course, you're a kid too, but you learn to appreciate things more than someone who isn't exposed to that kind of stuff, which does kind of concern me. I mean, I guess there are still lots of families that do what they should do in teaching their children, not only about... Um, the things that they have to deal with in today's society but also about their history um, whether t- we're talking about like their ethnic background or where they live or the world around them. so I I would very much like for everyone to realize the majesty of these sorts of uh, of places where they're untouched by humans that's not really true because they they invite tourism in. But yeah. but they are as close as possible that we can ever reach again to going back, turning back the clock before we started developing roads and uh, and things like that. Right.
1: It's a balance between being able to appreciate them and letting them be on their own. And I think for the most part, we were able to let them be on their own. Um, so, you know, then they created the National Park Service in 1916. And finally, there was a organizing entity that took control over all this stuff right but nobody actually built the parks so nobody gets credit for building them but it's a collection of people who get credit uh, for helping you know helping create them so to speak uh so my favorite guy in this whole tale is a guy named john muir and john muir is you know has gone down in american history is a pretty famous guy there's a school right down the street from where i grew up named after him uh you know just like there are for Generals and just like there was for Neil Armstrong. You know, uh, come to think of it, I think all of the schools, aside from one that I grew up near, was named after some sort of famous American. Albert you know, like Einstein, Thomas century.
0: Dooley, Campanelli, and Fox.
1: There was uh, Churchill was the only one that was Winston wasn't. Churchill. Yeah. But you know what? He's who, a pretty, I'm pretty good guy. Who i related to, by the way. Awesome.
0: Well, he, he, was, he was a good guy for what he did, but he wasn't a good guy. He was a womanizer and alcoholic. He was a bad guy as he far was as a guy. that's concerned. I mean... He was a guy like any other guy. (laughs) He
1: was a guy... A lot of guys are like that. Let's be honest.
0: Well, he did good things besides all of the other trappings of of his life.
1: Yeah. So, John Muir was known as a good guy, like most of them, I suppose. Uh, So, he was the first kind of famous guy who wanted to preserve... Help preserve America. Um, He... Had a big effect on the way that the country viewed natural areas and stuff because he was a writer and he was a very eloquent man. So he was able to, uh, you know, get stuff printed in magazines and uh, other s- newspapers and stuff like that. And it sort of sold people on the idea that there's these magnificent lands out to the west. Because,
0: because it, he was so eloquent?
1: Well, you know, back when people only had newspapers and magazines to read.
0: Did he have like a very tall hat?
1: Uh,. No, he probably did wear... He had like a very small hat, I suppose. A small hat. A smaller hat. He's a, he's a simple man, even though he's, you know, he was brilliant and he made lots of money and uh, he was able to just kind of spend most of his time wandering the West. That's great. Yeah, and it really, uh, it helps to have these people in your history to sort of inspire these kind of movements. So he is kind of known as the father of national parks. Um, so you have this guy, he's an immigrant. And he grew up to be a huge champion for America's wild areas. He helped create the national parks. And like I was saying earlier, I think it's one of the best cultural gifts that America's been able to give the world because now there's national parks throughout the world. Uh, It sort of helped create game reserves and stuff like that. Um, So it's, I like to compare it to jazz, not only because it's another thing that Ken Burns has done a documentary on, uh, but because it's something that, Started out as a uniquely American thing and spread throughout the world.
0: Well, to compare jazz to nature is pretty lofty, so I might have to disagree with you about that metaphor. However, I think that's what Ken Burns is trying to do, right? Isn't that his, his, his M.O. is just to... Pick the to, very American to things. glorify these, these crazy, historical, uh, very American things. American
1: institutions, really. Baseball. Yeah. But then there's, of course, stories about other times, like you know the Civil War. But yeah, I mean, hell, we can do a podcast on each one of his documentary series.
0: We could, <laughs> as long as they're not like nine hours, and you know, uh, the
1: podcast will be twenty hours long, divided into four episodes.
0: <laughs> then, unfortunately, I may have to bow we out will of take that program halfway through. Yeah, I look. So, I I admire the guy's tenacity, but you know, some of these things are a little um, a little too broad for me. However, um, I I do think that it's cool all of the specific things that he was. That he's talking about. Uh, is he doing anything new now?
1: Uh, Ken Burns is currently working on a Jackie Robinson documentary. Back I to baseball
0: about... with the man. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, he even followed up the baseball documentary uh, with an, sort of an addendum. They called the tenth inning. Wow. Uh, it's just too a bad. He years should, ago,
0: he should be told that baseball is dying sport in America, <laughs> and, and football is what we should really concentrate on. He
1: doesn't really care. He just okay. So he just finished one.
0: Of course, I'm on, kidding.
1: On uh, The The Roosevelt's.
0: Baseball's more about the, uh, I mean, it used to be the national currency of of the country, so...
1: Yeah, it used to be huge, and I think it's still popular with people who have good teams in their area. Some people.
0: No, that's true. It's just, it's mostly like an older, like older crowd, um, uh, as opposed to some of the other Definitely an older crowd.
1: I heard from a friend of mine last night, which I suppose is the equivalent of, I looked up on the internet... Uh, that the average age of a baseball fan, like a baseball watcher, is 55.
0: Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, you know, that's not the case for the NFL. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, John Muir, going back to our main story here, was kind of known for having a very spiritual connection with the areas that he uh, would go visit, uh, kind of referred to, as a lot of people do, uh, you know, the outdoor areas as their church. Uh, their way to connect you know with a a higher power Um, a lot of people back then of course just thought of it more as like god but anyways um what do you think of that kind of spiritual connection to nature have you ever experienced that anywhere uh where you've been you know when you go visit the grand canyon or when you're in the middle of the everglades and it's just you and nature or even if you just go camping
0: the short answer is no I have not experienced a massive uh, spiritual awakening when going into a national park. I don't think it
1: has to be massive.
0: Well, I... So I I used to be into this kind of stuff. Like, there's this book that was written called The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield, and there was a sequel to that book. This is all talking about, like, uh, the the linkage of consciousness between all of things that are alive and organic material in one place. Uh, That is that... We as humans uh, as animals are really the same as everything else and exist on some plane uh, of existence or consciousness at the same level that they do. And so they talk about being able to uh, you know meditate and and see like the aura around things and the trees, giving off life force and uh, you know, the the sun being taken in by the plants, like literally watching that. Happen in front of you, um, I I like this uh, this very dramatic and interesting version of the world. I just don't see that.
1: Yeah, you 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 think it'd be interesting if it was true, but you just can't see it being
0: the way of it really is. It is true on some level, but. It's not like I can see out and see radio beams and, and other things that are existing in this new world of technology. No, I mean it's I, the same thing really. Like you, you can you know that things are happening around you but you don't see them. Yeah happening. you don't
1: necessarily detect them, I suppose, with all of your
0: senses. Well us being such high level creatures as compared to a lot of the other things that exist on the earth, for example, mm-hmm. um, we are able to trick ourselves often into thinking that we see things that we don't. Um, Oh sure But I think when you walk into a place uh, You are generally like that You you kind of do get overwhelmed with uh, You know A feeling that you're a small thing In this whole ebb and flow of creation Which is what the whole purpose is Of having those there
1: Yeah you can look at something and know That it's you know So many thousands of years old Where we live nothing around us is you know, more than a hundred years old. Even a lot of the trees here might approach a hundred years. But there's nothing that old around here. So it's a way for a Midwest kid, I suppose, to be humbled. In my opinion. that's the, And that's sort of, you know, when I have gone to the Grand Canyon, despite, you know, there being huge crowds, despite there being uh cigarette butts all over the ground, I felt like it was... A really cool, uh, you know, place to be able to go and visit. And it really was, you know, it's as big as advertised. It's as badass as advertised. And you can't uh, help but just stand there and stare at it. And I suppose whenever in life you have a situation where you just stand there and look over what's going on and don't really have words for it, uh, it's pretty special. So um, I want to warn you real quick as you're pouring that beer. Head that there's massive head on it, so be careful. Okay, Uh, so what we are drinking right now is the off color blue off color brewing apex predator.
0: Slow down, man. Pretend you're a valley, ah, a nice
1: peaceful valley,
0: exactly.
1: Uh, So it is a third trophic level farmhouse ale.
0: What the hell does that mean? I mean, it wasn't bad.
1: Third trophic level. Well, see, I probably started pouring in in a poor way, it was too excited, yeah. I was ready to drink this beer. I uh, like farmhouse ales.
0: Well, I can find out for you. So, uh, it's called what?
1: A third trophic level farmhouse
0: ale.
1: 6.5% alcohol. I like this brewery because they list like what malts they use, what hops they l- use, what their secret techni- techniques are. Prey selection is one of them.
0: <laughs> well, very smart. Uh Trophic levels are they are like levels in the food chain.
1: Okay. So what this so means? So apex predator is the third level.
0: Yeah, predators are at level three. Ah. But not apex is the name of the uh, of the beer, right? Apex predator. Apex predator. Because right. apex means the, the top, top of an of an angle or something like that. The I don't mean, know. It's been a long time since geometry.
1: Well, yeah the the photo on the label is a lion who is being x-rayed and you can see a little mouse uh drinking something in his belly
0: (laughs) yeah apex means the top or the peak or the summit in latin so it's the summit of the food chain the predator at the food chain so this is like the 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 best of the best of the farmhouse ale is what they're i guess referring to um okay so do you know what makes a farmhouse ale
1: uh not specifically no
0: Hmm. Well, I uh I am not an expert either to be honest with you. <laughs>
1: okay, I thought you were about to tell me. That's what, <laughs> that's the pause. Okay. Um well,
0: I I do know that I enjoy them.
1: I you know, aside from an IPA, I like a farmhouse ale or a barley wine. Um those are probably my next favorite styles of beer.
0: Uh yeah, so it, it's probably kind of yeasty.
1: Yes, I get that.
0: Like definitely. a... How do you pronounce it? Like a Saison?
1: Okay, I can see that.
0: Um, and so, I don't know exactly where the farmhouse name comes in, but that would be an interesting one to discuss. I mean, I uh, I know eventually we'll be doing a retrospective on beer because that's just inevitable. I would hope so. And we should have a beer for every style we discuss, which is inevitable. <laughs> and, uh, and then our discussion will get more and more heated and less and less decipherable which is inevitable. inevitable. Yeah,
1: naturally. <laughs> uh, so my favorite president, Teddy Roosevelt was a huge champion of preserving wild areas. He loved to go out and Your nature. Your favorite
0: president Teddy, he Teddy Roosevelt. He is my favorite
1: president. I have a favorite president, okay?
0: That's just not relevant.
1: <laughs> I'm an Ameri- I'm an American nerd. I like all kinds of history about America.
0: Congratulations Teddy
1: having me as a fan, I don't think it's that big of an accomplishment. I like lots of things.
0: Have you ever looked up the bad things that Teddy Roosevelt did?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, he was, uh, you know.
0: This isn't a show about Teddy Roosevelt. I I just wanted to know. But like, everybody has their pros and cons. (laughs) Of course. (laughs)
1: Uh, It's interesting to look at, you know, the things that you definitely wouldn't agree with. You know, he was kind of a warmonger, and he was a bit of a, uh, sort of, more of a slaughterer than a hunter, I guess you would say. He'd love to just kill everything. He wanted to try and kill one of everything, probably.
0: Yes, he was a big fan of... Uh, a huge fan of hunting. Of of guns and killing and hunting. Yeah. Right,
1: right. And not everyone, especially in the preservationist area, uh, would agree with him on that. Especially John Muir. Um, but they actually famously met once uh, in a on a camping trip. And they sort of escaped the presidential entourage and hung out in the high country for a couple days. And they would just talk all the time. And one of the uh, people who attended to them when when they were there was saying that, uh, you know, they were having such a great time uh, and the only problem was that they both wanted to talk. They both didn't want to stop talking. And they would just talk over each other. (laughs) Um, Because they were both so passionate about what they were seeing and they wanted the same goals even though they sort of went about it. Uh, in different ways, so at the time Roosevelt was president, so he signed into law this uh, the Antiquities Act, which gave him authority by presidential proclamation, which is essentially the stroke of a pen. Uh, you know, he could create national monuments from land already owned by the government, just public lands, uh, set them aside for their natural features, their scientific features, all that good stuff, and all he had to do was sort of have. Any old excuse to put this stuff away So right away he saved Devil's Tower in Wyoming Which is this awesome 800 foot Just jut of rock Sticking out of the surrounding area Um, Goes almost like Straight vertical Uh, He protected Chaco Canyon in New Mexico Which was another place that had lots of cliff dwellings And ancient artifacts that People were just kind of raiding And this way there was actually Repercussions for taking that stuff now um, and then instead of sort of saying, OK, there's all these individual sites, he said, uh, I'm going to go ahead and protect the Grand Canyon and just was able to just say, all right, this whole giant area is under the Antiquities Act now.
0: Interesting what what they could do, uh, you know, back when there there wasn't everybody everywhere. Right. And there, there were giant spaces that weren't occupied by massive uh, amounts of residential areas and and giant companies with their individual rights.
1: Yeah, 110 years ago, there still wasn't uh, a lot of settled area in the West. Most of it, and most of it today still, is owned by the federal government. You know, there's just not much developed out there. These huge open areas. So, um, one of the cool uh, sort of epic uh, quotes in the national park system is when President Roosevelt first arrived at the Grand Canyon... uh, he remarked that, uh, we should leave it as it is. The ages have been at work in it on it and man can only mar it. And, uh, you know, basically, I don't know what he's saying is like, you can't develop this. So one of the things that people wanted to do like much later on, uh, was like, put a cable car across the grand Canyon. Right. Uh, And it seems like the kind of thing that would happen if you would allow just a bunch of uh, private businesses to develop uh, stuff at a national park like that, in that sort of area. They would build a cable car across it so people could pay money and go across. Uh, But, you know, they said, no, we can't do that. It's going to ruin the view. And it's just simple stuff like that and uh, kind of taking that approach uh, that helps preserve these areas over the long term because there is financial pressure you know we we set it aside but then you know 20 30 years later you have to be able to pay for the maintenance of these places and there's financial pressures to uh try and develop mining claims in the grand canyon and stuff like that and you don't want uh you want to be able to just say no we need to save it but it also has to be able to support itself right so um you know there was a huge ally of, in Teddy Roosevelt, who was the president, the most powerful man in the country, do you think that the national park system could have developed uh, on its own without having, you know, a president championing it? Championing, championing it. These beers are a little too strong for me, Dave.
0: <laughs> I see that. Well, take your time, man. What? Breathe in, breathe out, like, uh, like, like Gavin Rossdale from Bush says. Um, I know it's a weird reference. I was listening to Bush the other day, '90s alternative man. It's my kind of my bag. Nice anyway uh I don't necessarily know that that Teddy Roosevelt was the the person that that sparred all this. Maybe someone had brought it to his attention. Maybe it would have happened in the future or in the past had you know things come together correctly yeah, but i I do think that these giant monuments these these crazy things uh that are out there in nature, and I'm sure there were more back in the day, but uh, There was still, like you mentioned, very little development that was occurring at that point, especially in these spaces. Uh, I suppose you could say that maybe very early on in the days of America and the uh, colonization of uh, this whole continent. Yeah, like settling the West. There were probably more areas that that were really cool, but then were changed or built over, etc. Or
1: just bought by private, uh, you know for private land use or whatever
0: yeah plus the fact that the grand canyon especially then when when there weren't a lot of these crazy mining operations etc i don't know that there's much that could have been done with that particular kind of land
1: (laughs) right i mean it's not like you can farm the grand canyon
0: but it was it was very good of him to have done that and set things in motion at that time because perhaps you know perhaps in a parallel universe where there was no Teddy Roosevelt or someone never brought this to the attention of a president, uh, these, these natural monuments. Perhaps they don't exist or they were terraformed or they were filled up with uh, garbage or something terrible.
1: Sure, or they, they dam the, you know, the Grand Canyon in order to make uh, more power or something like that.
0: Well, that would be pretty cool.
1: It'd be interesting, but it would, you know, it would ruin it. It would turn it into a big lake instead of a raging river at the bottom.
0: I kind of like the filling it with garbage idea.
1: Filling it with garbage.
0: Like, you could do that for a long time.
1: Yeah, but then it would really smell. Because it's open air. It's not like it's a cave.
0: That's why you put a cover on it
1: cover a cap on the Grand Canyon. No problem. Just build the largest cap ever thought of.
0: Well, that's what happens, right? People make these massive mistakes, and then and then, in order to fix them, they have to pay even more money than if they had just done the right thing in the first place.
1: Exactly. Of course. Um, so, you know, over the course of his presidency, he established 18 national monuments. In uh, a lot of these places, like you said, like we've been saying, they nothing was going on there, but Once they became tourist destinations, like the railroads would promote all the different parks that they had lines going to in order to, you know, get the Eastern tourists out there. Uh, A lot of it was still very expensive to travel, but, you know, a lot of people in the East would, a lot of the rich people, the upper middle class and upper class people would be able to take these trips. Uh, And there were a lot of developments then going on uh, in terms of, you know, private touristy things um so i don't know i know a lot of times unilateral approaches by the presidents are a little uh controversial but i'm okay with this one because you know he was able to because he's your
0: favorite president
1: okay but i you know i can't support (laughs) everything he does i suppose no no i'm happy that he was able to
0: there's nothing not to like about a guy saying that these big huge monuments that aren't currently being used for anything shouldn't be set aside
1: Right, it, or and some of them in you know were about to be developed or were about to be logged and stuff like that. And he was able to sign sign it and set it aside to prevent that from happening.
0: Well, him being a guy that was very in touch with, with nature and himself and had no qualms about saying exactly what he wanted, uh, you know, and appreciated all that stuff. Uh, of course, he appreciated these things. Yeah. I mean, uh, hunters in their in their own way are are probably uh, worshipping. You know, nature and animals,
1: and yeah, that's one of the things that I think people uh, don't understand about hunters is that they're some of the biggest proponents for conservation, uh, because you know it, they they won't be able to hunt if there's no lands for the animals. To well, they understand
0: like how how it all works and yeah, and how to keep those things going.
1: Yep. Uh, so one of the things you know, I suppose that hunters would support, and one of the things that a man named Gifford Pinchot sort of introduced to the system. And he was the uh, first head of the U.S. Forest Service. Um, And he kind of, uh, you know, fought with guys like Muir uh, who wanted to save everything to be pure, to just leave it aside and don't touch it at all. Uh, But Pinchot wanted to use the land for its profitability. He wanted to take all these forest areas and log them in a very uh, responsible way where, you know, you would be able to uh, keep lots of forested land but still, you know, log and support a logging industry. So, you know, one of the things that he introduced to the system as a whole was that you could use it both as preservation and for industry. And, you know, that sort of irked some of the people who only wanted to preserve things. So, you know, do you think that it's a good idea to sort of be able to mix those two things, mix the use for profitability and use for conservation?
0: I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know enough about the subject to be completely honest. Okay, I, I, I think, suppose what I'm saying I is... I think that it's always good to have profit in things because that that keeps things going.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can only have so many national parks that are generating all their profit from tourism. You know, it, it does cost money to visit the parks. They are there for the public and they're not restrictive in who they admit, but...
0: Well, there's not unlimited You have to fund. be able to pay,
1: you know, 15 bucks
0: to get in. Everything costs money. Right. And if we want, you know, as people that live in the United States to have these things kept up, then, then we have to pay the money to have them kept up because ultimately it's us that, that pays for them. Um, but we generally want the things, uh, you know, in the government, if possible, like like NASA and other other companies, sort of organizations within the government mm-hmm. to do their own thing, to create things, to have R&D, to have profitability. So that they can not just be completely reliant on our money.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that the national parks are able to do is at least generate some support to help maintain their stuff. Um, But sort of similar to NASA, you're able to preserve all these areas and they're set aside so that you can study them. And then you don't know what sort of impact it's going to have down the road. You know, people can learn all kinds of cool things about geology because these areas have been set aside and they've been left more or less pristine. You know, it's similar to NASA, where they research something, and then it's put to use in the commercial world ten years later in a way that nobody thought would be relevant. So I, I just I, I like that they were able to incorporate, and I suppose it was inevitable that uh, inevitable, exactly that they would have this land use of both strict preservation and a. Uh, um, responsible managed use like so, there
0: so was, it's a trick question
1: i guess so you know <laughs> it, it is best to have both you didn't get
0: me on that one <laughs>
1: you're right you're right you saw through my ruse uh yeah. but yeah i mean a lot of these people were just interested in short-term gains all they wanted to do was cut down the forest as fast as they could and cash out but what Pinchot was able to do was say okay we have to do it slowly we have to do it in a responsible manner you can't Cut down the entire area at once. You have to leave a lot of it up, um, but that has created a much long-term, you know, long-term success in the in, in the system.
0: Well, I like this pincho guy. Uh, if not, just because his name reminds me of uh, uh, of pinxo, which is p uh, p i n x o, I believe, uh, which is a even smaller dish than a tapas dish at a tapas restaurant.
1: Is it like the tapas appetizer? It's like a bite. Oh wow! Yeah. Instead of like two or three bites, it's a bite.
0: They're called pinchos. Pinchos. So uh, yeah, I mean, this guy's got my support and a little bit of bacon taste in my mouth.
1: <laughs> Very nice. He's making you salivate. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the, the last big government figure that was important in creating all the parks, and who was maybe the best figure uh, to create the park system uh, as we know it today, was Stephen Mather. So he was the first director of the park system, and He wanted to expose the parks to as many people as possible. He wanted to bring the public into the parks and show them that there are all these magnificent areas right here inside your country. Yeah. And he knew that if he got the public interested in the parks, if he got them fired up about it, that they would help save the parks, that they would help, uh, you know, keep it, preserve more areas. Uh, support the areas that they have already preserved. So it was, it was kind of his life's work,
0: right? He's um, like, "There's not gold in them there hills. There's nothing. There's no I reason, swear. no I mean, reason to go there. Only
1: tourist dollars for real." <laughs> um, so he expanded the number of parks. He did helped... they have
0: they have overpriced tourist food at locations like that? Even back then.
1: Oh, dude, that was like the original. Uh-huh. Like, that's what people used to do in mining towns and stuff. You'd go there. Like, here's your $2 dollar hot dog. You'd be like, $2? My God. Before they were able to evict <laughs> this guy from the Grand Canyon, he um put a, on the, like, main trail going from the rim down to the bottom, he put a toll gate up, and he charged people to go down it. And then halfway down, he charged people to use the only bathrooms. So he, he charged was the them. original troll. Yes, he charged them exorbitant prices for water when it was like hot. You know how damn hot it was. Imagine if someone, if you had to pay for all that water.
0: No, you know, in that story I was telling earlier about going down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And uh, and and having it be 125 degrees or some such, I'm sure I'm uh, exaggerating that a little. Actually, I don't know probably if I am probably not that much. I'm probably not exaggerating <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I've been in Arizona when it's been 120
0: degrees. But they were giving us bottles of water instead of uh, having to pay for them because usually you do <laughs> have to pay for them. But this time the the park just didn't want you know a lot of like passed out people on their hands, right? Because it'd be hard to get them back into the helicopter. That's
1: a lot more expensive than a bottle of water,
0: <laughs> for sure. Um, so I guess you're right. I mean, I didn't even realize that because I hadn't read up on this gentleman before our show, but what I was saying earlier about these overpriced snacks and concessions and and, and being charged too much to go places that you should be able to go regardless, it seems like he was all over that.
1: Right, that was sort of the theme. That was what was happening early on.
0: Good, good for him. That's and
1: some of those people who did run businesses.
0: That's not uh, a smart business sense. It's a,
1: (laughs) it's sort of a troll, as you said. Yeah, Uh, you know, some of the people were honest and uh, have good stories about them, but most of them were just there exploiting, you know, people because they were the only gig around because these places are so remote. Uh, So by expanding the number of parks and sort of. Getting lots of support, you know, all of the increases in money in the early days to the national parks went to building roads. So they sort of built this highway, and it's kind of just a collection of highways called the National Park to Park Highway.
0: They sort of built it, is it like half done?
1: No, it's totally built, but you know, it was partially built, I'm sure, before they ever even started
0: it. Oh, I see. Um, who built it beforehand?
1: Well, just there, it was just a collection of roads. Just connecting all these parks throughout the West.
0: Oh, I thought maybe so it was. So it goes in a huge loop. I got it. I you thought know, it's
1: like five thousand
0: miles. I thought maybe it was aliens or something.
1: Not there. There were aliens built different parks. The aliens actually built the Grand Canyon. Well,
0: I've seen the history show. I haven't gotten to that yet. I know there are aliens.
1: The aliens built the Grand Canyon.
0: <laughs> and they're ancient.
1: <laughs> Not all of them.
0: Ah uh, well some are modern aliens.
1: Right. Modern aliens, uh they built um what did they build? I don't know. I heard on I Fox News nothing.
0: that Barack Obama is an alien.
1: I heard on Fox News he's an alien Muslim.
0: Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you didn't want to tell that joke.
1: <laughs> I I don't know. I but, think I need a little more beer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, these are good beers. We can tell because we've only had two.
1: Yeah, and that first one wasn't even a full one. I mean, we split a bomber three ways. So. But the,
0: the second beer, the Apex Predator, um, it is only 6.5% alcohol. So, it must just be, you know, the fact that we're doing the show from uh, 10,000 feet above sea level.
1: Right. In in true spirit of the national parks. We're actually... We're at very high altitude. We're,
0: <laughs> we're in a plane above the national park right now, about to drop down. I'm going to attempt to... We're going to
1: parachute onto Denali. <sharp inhale> it's going to be awesome. <laughs> uh, so, you know, one of the things that was a little controversial back in the day, but... Another one of the things that was, and here's the buzzword of the night, inevitable. Inevitable. Was that cars would be introduced into the parks. Okay. Once cars were introduced, people didn't have to take long train rides to get to the parks anymore. So in 1920, the total visitors passed 1 million for the very first time. And just five years later, they doubled it to 2 million. So now you're starting to finally get this flood of people... Just the general public, just everybody. It's no longer sort of not reserved specifically for the rich people on the East Coast, but really it was only accessible by them. Uh, but now it's accessible by everyone who owns a car, which is...
0: Inevitable. You
1: know, ...becoming more and more prevalent throughout the United States. Uh, so the parks grew fast. It was There was a lot of congestion, uh, which has traditionally been a problem, you know, in uh Yellowstone in July and August in the really busy months, there's gigantic traffic jams everywhere. It's kind of an issue. At the Grand Canyon, like I was saying earlier, like when I was there, it was I think ninety five or ninety six. And I'm sure that based on the changes in attitudes uh towards smoking over the last twenty years, uh there aren't cigarette butts all over the place anymore. But back then people still there was still tons of smokers and there was cigarette butts everywhere. People would throw out their garbage, but I guess they didn't consider cigarette butts garbage. So anyways, you know, that's one of the problems with all the congestion. Um but now there's fifty nine parks. In two thousand nine there was sixty three million visitors to the national parks. Which is probably what, one sixth of the population of the United States.
0: I don't know, I didn't sign up for any math. Mm. Not to I tricked way. you this time. Yeah, well you tricked me last time too. <laughs>
1: Uh, So, one of the kind of interesting things about Stephen Mather that I uh, think sort of developed the attitude that he had towards the parks and towards uh, his enthusiasm for sharing them with people was that he suffered from bipolar disorder, which would literally, like, cripple him. Like, he would sit in a chair and he wouldn't be able to talk or anything. Uh, And one of the ways he was able to treat it when he wasn't stuffed into an asylum was that he would go out west and he would spend time in solitude in these parks and it would sort of, you know, return him back to normal. Uh, and I think what he wanted to do was share the therapeutic values of the parks with these people.
0: I like that story. It sounds kind of like a fairy tale, though.
1: <laughs> it's true. I mean, they they even hit it because he was head of the National Park Service uh, for like 12 years and he had several attacks during that time. And his number two in command, Horace Albright... Who was another great champion of the parks uh, Would help keep it secret You know, he would run things When Mather was having a breakdown Which could last like 18 months But yeah, I mean This guy had either uh, Crazy energy And he was a, a huge promotional man And he was able to fire up people And get them to visit the parks Or he was suffering from crippling depression And trying to kill himself You know, that, that's sort of the crazy backstory to a lot of people in america not well, that they all have that backstory but that a lot of people in you know important to america's history have crazy backstories
0: america has nothing to do with that i mean that that's literally just, you're right that's just, not
1: unique to america well it's
0: just the fact that if you're if you're crazy enough to to swallow all of your fears and self doubt and and create something and and work all the time and and you know, do whatever it takes to, to make something happen. In general, you're just crazy. And it's just that people don't don't always see that side of you because um, it, you've orchestrated it to be otherwise. But most of those people that are the most amazing and influential people are also the craziest ones behind the scenes, you know. Uh, it, I mean, I won't go into it, but but you know exactly yeah, what I like mean. It's like the psychopath test that and we had talked about. Even like actors and actresses, like in order to... Sort of shed their own skin and put on someone else's, uh, put themselves really out there. They have to have these these things inside themselves that are just totally, totally whack job, and and we see that all the time, <laughs> uh, and we're always surprised when it happens. But I would say, you know, the the greater impact and more interesting a person is, the probably the crazier things he has hiding about himself or herself. Yeah. That said, I, I suppose that that, uh, that that sliding scale doesn't always have to go 50-50.
1: And in in his case, really, it had a lot of extremes. You know, the, the highs were extreme, incredibly high. The lows were incredibly low. Right. Um, so, you know, the benefits to increasing the visitors in the park, in a long look, in a long view of it, it, it was clearly very beneficial because... Uh, It was able to help the parks expand. It was able to increase their popularity. There was support from the common people for the parks, which made the congressmen listen to them, right? That's the only thing they're going to listen to is when people actually want something. Um, so do you think that, you know, we were able to take these serene, pristine places? We did bring a ton of people there. Now we've got cars everywhere. Do you think that that sort of congestion is worth it? Um, You know, when you were at the Grand Canyon, was there a lot of people around or were you guys kind of in a private tour group?
0: Uh, Well, again, this was the Native American portion, uh, It's some specific reservation or collection of them.
1: Same canyon, just miles and miles away.
0: There were probably like 30 people there. And after we checked out the Grand Canyon on the top side, um, we went inside to this building and had like this big brunch. And then we went down to the bottom. Yeah. Uh, down at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there were way more people that I didn't know where they had come from because that wasn't the experience I was having on the top. <laughs> so I'm assuming that more people go to the other side than the one that I went to.
1: Oh, yeah, by far. That's where, like, there's millions of people every year.
0: Well, that would have been a little jarring for me, I guess. I suppose it was an interesting experience then to go and have somewhat of a peaceful time, not be... Yeah, a, a
1: little more private experience in the same sort of area. Well,
0: I was still parents and their children and not protecting them or doing what they should be doing for their kids, which is pretty much the same guess, I get anywhere.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: I thought this is America.
1: <laughs> this is America. They can, they know what's best, damn it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I've experienced both. I've experienced a uh, very kind of quiet areas. Uh, when I went to Mount Rainier, it was really cool. It was in June and, uh, The snow was 10 feet deep at the Visitor Center, which was a mile high, which was insane to see. Like, the middle of June, it was hot out. We all got sunburned that day, Uh, but it was this crazy area where there was still 10 feet of snow. Um, So, there wasn't very big crowds there, able to take hikes and really not see anybody around. Nice. But, you know, I've also been to the Grand Canyon where there's people everywhere, and I've been to Yosemite when, uh, you know, in the height of the tourist season, when there's you know, traffic jams getting in and out of the park, stuff like that. So it's, it's a toss-up, but I think overall it's definitely worth it uh, to have uh, the greater access to the parks. Now, there are a few parks like um, Arches of the North, uh, way north in Alaska, which doesn't actually have any facilities there. Almost everything else will have some sort of visitor center or a place where you can camp or a lodge, a cabin, or a hotel Uh, on or near the site where you can you know stay and enjoy and go on hikes and stuff like that but it's actually one of the few areas that's set aside with no development whatsoever uh so i think it's you know i think that people need to experience the parks uh just because you know in my personal experience there is this sort of uh you know communing with nature that you all need to do that everybody needs to understand that they are living on this planet and that Uh, there are great magnificent areas of this planet that you can go to, uh, that just overwhelm you with their beauty and with what's going on or with the wildlife or just the view of a rushing river. Uh, you know, there's all these cool places and you just, you just got to go there. You got to experience it for yourself. You can't just see it on TV. It doesn't live up to the real experience. Uh, so, you know, get in a car and go for a road trip. Go to a national park. If you don't live in America, go find one near you. You know, there's national parks all over the world. Go find one. Uh, It's a worthwhile vacation. Uh, And I think doubly so for people who live in cities, that they need to go and visit these kind of places, right? If you haven't ever gotten a chance to go out, and one of the things that I was saying earlier is that, you know, we grew up in Chicago. I never got to go and visit these kind of wild or natural areas the closest I ever came was going to Wisconsin. Or right? some parts was of... It was the most wild area that I would go to.
0: Some parts of the, the neighborhood uh, that, you know, we grew up in seem kind sure, of... Sure, sure. <laughs> but yes, kind the, of wild. Like
1: the Forest Preserve and the deer running around and getting uh, run over by cars in the road, I suppose, was the wildest thing. Well,
0: like you mentioned, what what's a cool thing is that we do have one of the largest, like local forest preserves I think in the nation.
1: Yeah, Cook County as a county, you know, as an urban area, has a very high percentage of uh
0: Bussy Woods is huge. Yeah. And then we've got uh Elk Grove and, and Elk Grove lives up to its name. I mean there's an Elk Grove there. Literally an Elk Grove. I didn't actually expect that, and I didn't even know that there was an elk grove in elk grove until I worked over by that area <laughs> and drove past and saw elk. And I was like, are those just deer with really big horns? There's
1: and... a new Mayhem Allstate commercial about that. <laughs> That's funny. You're looking at my majestic horns.
0: That's a funny commercial. Uh, there's no way around that.
1: Yeah, some, some commercial, uh, in, I suppose, series, yeah. uh, they do it right.
0: And I just realized too that I've also been to Mammoth Cave, which I didn't think I had been to, but like oh, I mentioned cool. earlier in the podcast and I started talking to my dad about things that I've already done, but I don't remember doing okay and we went to Mammoth Cave, I guess uh, for a couple of days and had a cool experience. One of the stories he told me was how we went in there at one point they turn all the the lights off uh-huh. uh, and or or maybe they they weren't originally turned on. When you kind of walk into this area. And granted, this would have been like the early 90s or late 80s. So things that happen at places like that may not happen anymore. <laughs> they may, it may be too they scary. They have toned it down, yeah. But I guess it was me and my sister and uh, maybe like a like an infant version of my little brother. Okay. And they said that the, the, they turned the lights off or, or they were already off. So I'm sorry I, I don't have that, that. But you know what's going to happen. They're gonna turn the lights on, uh-huh. so I guess they're so like bright and it's so huge and everything's crazy, and then they, they could hear like all the kids go ah, <laughs> but it's because you know I think they were already off to begin with, and you're not used to such like a like this mammoth. Well, uh, this mammoth cave, this experience of seeing this giant thing that you're in, but you know, you had to like go down into, in order to get into, right.
1: You you have this definite sense of being underground.
0: So it's probably one of my first, uh, my, my first trips into the unknown sort of. Yeah.
1: And they get to, that must be a but fun like, moment. So there's this whole
0: world underground for
1: whoever works there to get to reveal that to people on a regular basis. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and there's probably some some kids that freak out like when they sit on Santa Claus's lap. <laughs> They're like, I've seen the expanse beyond my mind. Yeah. No, probably little kids wouldn't be saying things like that. But you know what I'm what I'm inferring here. Uh, it's a
1: very exiden- existential experience for small children.
0: So it's kind of interesting to know that I have actually been to a lot of these places, although the majority of them, I suppose, with the exception of um, some state parks that I'm going to be going to uh I don't really remember that well, so right. I should uh time to make new memories, Dave. I should maybe think about going to some of these national parks as well as all the beer fests and, and other things that I attend. Well we should on go, go to basis. Rocky
1: Mountain National Park because you're in close proximity to Denver and there's bound to be a beer a beer fest in Denver. <laughs> Denver. They like drinking their beer out there. We go visit the uh new Belgium uh brewery in Fort Collins.
0: Well, I've been to a lot of states and places, but I have not been yet to Colorado and it's not very far away. So yeah, I I think a trip to Colorado is sort of in our future. I hear that you can get a, um, I hear you can get like a place there, like a house that has enough space to sleep like six, eight, 10 people for hardly anything at all. Solid. Like on a lake, like, you know, but there's just a lot of spaces like we were talking about that are still sort of undeveloped, et cetera.
1: The West is so big.
0: Yeah, so you can get these places for now, you know, reasonable rate. We're talking about like one hundred and fifty dollars a night Right that sleeps for six a people. Proper
1: vacation place, yeah, that's that's awesome.
0: So you're paying hardly anything.
1: Yeah, I mean that's definitely something to check out. Cool. Uh, so you know, we wouldn't have as many parks as we have if it weren't for um, not not all the land. I should say it was uh, just federal land. We wouldn't have all this stuff if it weren't for ooh ph- philanthropists.
0: Ooh, philanthropists. Ooh,
1: don't spill that shot. philanthropist. <laughs> we almost had another spilled shot incident here on Drink Five.
0: There was a reach for it. There was a reach for it that intercepted. They, yeah,
1: there was a bad interception. <laughs> Point so being, I, philanthropists,
0: you know. Anyways,
1: John D. Rockefeller. I'm sure you've heard the name Rockefeller before. Uh, he
0: he owns everything.
1: Yeah, and he was a big conservationist. He Owned. had his father's, you know, uh, fortune. Essentially, to work with. And uh, he purchased and donated land for Grand Teton, for Acadia National Park, for the Great Smoky Mountains, for Yosemite, and for Shenandoah National Park. Uh, All these places that needed help in their creation because they were existing on private lands.
0: And so, does he have like secret like bunkers beneath all of them (laughs) somewhere? I don't
1: think he was that nefarious, but like (laughs) to buy all the land for Grand Teton, he actually formed a like front company posing as a cattle rancher uh, to buy a bunch of the land so that people wouldn't just drive up the price when they found out that he was the one who was buying it.
0: Yeah, they're, they're like, um, you know, this is Berkshire Hathaway
1: purchasing this? Exactly. We're going to multiply that price by 10. It just costs, add a
0: zero at the end of that. It costs a billion dollars now.
1: Exactly. So in order, he could have afforded, afforded it too, probably. But, you know, he was a smart businessman. He was smart with his money. So he was able to spread it over a, a
0: gigantic area. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt.
1: But yeah, he was one of many philanthropists who were important in creating the national parks. And, you know, for that, we thank him. And there's philanthropists today that devote large portions of their fortune. Ooh, philanthropists. Ooh, philanthropists.
0: Like Bill Gates. Or, uh obviously.
1: Warren Buffett. Yes, it'll be inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, I hope that you want to go visit some national parks. I still need to go visit uh, Yellowstone. I've never been there. You know, it's one of those really cool areas, and I want to go visit it before it explodes. Because it will explode, and there will be nothing left of it.
0: Well, hopefully that's not when you're there visiting.
1: Well, I mean, think about it. If the whole thing explodes, the whole continent is pretty much fucked. So you might as well be at Ground Zero to see the proper show.
0: The continent is not fucked if Yellowstone explodes. We,
1: we had a whole Armageddon discussion last <laughs> night. The continent is quite fucked. Maybe not entirely fucked, but... Very, very fucked.
0: The All whole right, well, world is. We're not allowed in to, ha- to say any more obscenities because that that is the limit of uh, you know iTunes' <laughs> ability to call oh, ourselves right. call ourselves a clean show. So let's be like PG PG thirteen, like Marvel. Uh, I think if you're a PG thirteen, can, can we you use, can say a swear word one time or something we, like that? Can
1: we go to uh, Battle uh, Battlestar Galactica rules and say that we're fracked?
0: Oh, you can say that anytime you want. Okay. But then people are going to think you're going all political and, and, and maybe you're talking about fracking. About fracking. <laughs> <laughs> fracking
1: frackers. Uh, so a, cool, uh, a few cool features that exist in all these different parks. Uh, so Yosemite has a rock. They call it Half Dome Rock. And when you're on the valley floor, and I've seen this in person, you look up and it looks like a half of a sphere of a rock. So it, just picture uh, that it was a full sphere at some point sphere and it just split in half and disappeared or tumbled to the valley floor into a million pieces (laughs) um but it's just like a perfect vertical face uh directed just facing the valley uh it looks really cool uh and it's one of the famous pictures you'll see it all over the place when they talk about pictures of the national park or just cool natural areas in general yosemite is very photogenic that way Uh, so acadia national park is the oldest park in the east so that would be east of the Mississippi river. It was sort of unheard of at one point to have these uh, lands east of the Mississippi. Uh, and it was created almost entirely from donated lands. And it was just people who wanted to see that the Island would be preserved for everyone. So that's, you know, kind of a, a heartwarming side of all that, right? Like it's Hmm. just, people want to save this for future generations. All you have to do, your only responsibility is to keep it up and then pass it along to your, uh, next generation uh so crater lake another very photogenic place um is on the top of a volcano and it's 1900 feet deep in some spots and it's filled entirely by snow and rain there's no streams that go in and out of it uh it's just like a perfectly clear lake uh what they say is that you can lower a metal disc like 400 feet into the water and you can still see it from the surface it's that clear so that's uh you know kind of a cool place i definitely want to go visit there i'd say that like crater lake and so a lot of these places out on the west coast still are like on the top of my list for national parks that i need to go visit um we talked about the grand canyon a lot and uh you know one of the things that i always tell people if they haven't gone and they want to go i always tell them you know it, it totally lives up to all the hype that people give it you know would you agree that it Were you old enough to sort of remember it being hyped up before you got there? I was 20. Oh, you were 20 when you went. So you, yeah. So you got it. You sort of understood what was going on.
0: I mean, I wanted to stay in Vegas. (laughs) But uh, I had a really good time while I was there. And it's something that I I enjoyed doing. Uh, It was just not cooperating with me temperature wise. So it was just awful as far as how hot it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's interesting too. It's just the fact that you're like out in the desert and, and like it should be hot. It is hot. It's the desert. And and that's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing for me to have experienced the first time that I went there was Oh, it was like
1: your first experience in the desert.
0: Yeah, so it was very deserty in that You desert.
1: got yeah, you turned it up to eleven the very first time.
0: But now I know, so now I go back and, and it's not gonna be as bad. You're gonna wear shorts next time, right? I, you think I was wearing like a leather <laughs> jacket?
1: And a, and a stocking cap.
0: It's possible. It was around that time. Yeah, possibly. I had I had long hair and like, and often liked to wear a leather jacket and a stocking hat. But uh, for sure, I was not wearing those items in Arizona. In Arizona, in the, in else, the desert, at I the bottom would, of the Grand Canyon. I would have been one of those people that had passed out and required medical attention.
1: Right. Uh, so Great Basin National Park has these trees called bristlecone pines that are 5,000 years old. Living trees, 5,000 years old. the oldest living, basically single living organism in the world. Uh, these old ass trees, Uh, mammoth cave, talked about that earlier. Uh, it is the longest cave system in the world and it's a national park and it's in Kentucky. So it's not that far from people who live in the Midwest and stuff like that. It's a cool place to go visit. I'd like to go check that out. I've only been to one cave in my life. Uh, a couple caves actually. Um, but, uh, The one I remember most is the one we camped in as Boy Scouts. I think it was Eagle Cave in uh, Wisconsin.
0: See, I don't know if I was there or not. It's one of those things I'd have to be told. (laughs) Told that you had went. Though I was so much more interested in, like, the people and things we were doing than where we were. And and I don't think it's a bad thing to, to... Really be focused on on where you are and what that means and what it is. I just I was never like that when I was younger. I never sure. really knew where I was geographically or anything like that. Well,
1: you can't blame a kid for not you know paying as much attention to that,
0: right? Uh, but very cool. And you know we'll be going to a cave here in September to play disc golf. But that cave is a man-made cave, right? It's a mine, so it's not quite the same. However, it would still be the second cave you've been in.
1: Well, I actually had been in a man-made mine a silica mine uh, down in carbondale once which was the second one i had been in then three and there was technically no while not a cave really uh there was a festival down in carbondale too called cave stock
0: oh they, they party all the time in southern illinois university in the caves Right. If you ever want to, you know, go find some illicit drugs, that was
1: pretty. It's a pretty fun. Or drink
0: when you're underage. They just go as far back in the caves as they can. They think the police won't go that far.
1: (laughs) The police have better things to do. (laughs) They don't want to take a walk that far.
0: No, I wouldn't either. Um, The authorities do not want to be go spelunking.
1: Yeah. Uh, And so maybe one of the coolest uh, features of all the national parks now, and this is something that I don't think was well known, uh, or. Properly researched back when we were in high school Is that Yellowstone is a super volcano This is sort of like new li- lines of thinking uh, A new way of looking at Yellowstone um, And that's, you know We'll leave you on a dark, uh, crazy note tonight That we do live, you know Just a couple thousand miles away from The biggest volcano on Earth
0: There there are quite a few uh, volcanoes and, and active volcanoes that are around the weirdest thing about those is that you never really know when that activity is going to start happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially because those, unlike maybe volcanoes at Hawaii Volcano National Park, uh, they're not just like active and sort of uh, much more tame and manageable. You know, you, you have no idea what's going to happen with them, and they're on such a longer time scale that...
0: Thankfully, we are a speck in the existence of uh, of the world.
1: That's Yes, that's exactly... And we so
0: are. it's it's likely that that we will never see any activity there, um, but if we did, I mean that would be awesome and awesome by <laughs> the very by the very definition of the word, right?
1: Not not awesome meaning like that would be so
0: cool. No, I mean I don't know. I mean I I'm gonna roll with the punches regardless of what happens. I don't really care. I can't do anything about there being a zombie apocalypse or or some country that throws a nuke at us. Like none of those things are things I can affect.
1: That's true. That's a
0: So sort of given up to it. If it happens, then I'm I'm gonna, you know, make the best of it. (laughs) I played Fallout Three. I know what to do in the if if there's like a radioactive uh, post-apocalyptic world. You know, I've uh, I've experienced uh, through many TV series what happens when volcanoes erupt and and destroy the the world around them.
1: How to handle sort of. Certain apocalyptic situations.
0: Yeah, or or say if I was thrown in time, uh, you know, back to the Paleolithic era and had to live with dinosaurs. I also know how to deal with that situation. Really? Mm-hmm.
1: Now that is a handy situation to be able to deal with. You never know. You never know when you wake up. W- would you just wake up in the past, or you think you would uh, knowingly go there?
0: Well, I'm not going to uh, <laughs> pretend like I, I I can understand why these things happen. You know, but if if I am whisked off to uh, some uh, some previous age with countless creatures that, that I don't even know how to fathom their existence, I will probably die quickly and mercilessly.
1: All right. Well, on that bombshell, we must uh, do our final shot of the evening.
0: Well, I'm just saying T-Rex versus Dave isn't a, too much of a battle.
1: I would bet on the T-Rex there. Sorry, buddy. <laughs>
0: Maybe he's a pescatarian.
1: So uh, make sure you check us out next week uh, for another installment of the Retro Spectacle podcast. Uh, we will be doing another TV soup later tonight with uh, the next couple of episodes of Daredevil. Plug the show. We are found on drink5.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to follow us. Tell, tell them that we're swearing, please. Don't report us. Um, Where else can they find us? On Twitter, at Drink5. Go to Facebook.com slash Drink5Network. Uh, You can check us out on Stitcher. On uh, what else? On the Instagrams? Probably
0: not. All kinds of things, but that's enough. Drink5.com, mothers. Drink5, buddy. Have a good evening. I know we will.